It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition, the first one for the 2019-20 season. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com. I'm the digital sports commerce and editor with Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring of Musketeer Report and color analyst for NKU Basketball. And despite those introductions, we're going to start with Kentucky's win over Louisville from uh, from Saturday. Which we're all experts. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know about experts, but we all, uh, I'm sure, followed. Did that win say more about Kentucky or less about Louisville? Because it felt like as much as Kentucky played pretty well in spurts and some guys did things they haven't done for much of the year, like Nick Richards getting a double-double, it felt like Louisville just gave the game away. I think that's partially true, but I'd say it said more about Kentucky, at least to most Kentucky fans, because I think a lot of people felt like this Kentucky team is awful and they stink and they won't be able to win any big games the rest of the Somebody way. Somebody on a podcast keeps saying that. Yeah, some some crazy old man that I talked to once a week said that, um, and that's just Twice not a week. Tr- that's just not true, right? I mean, like this Kentucky's team still has talent. Individuals on this Kentucky team have shown throughout the season in scattered throughout in different games that they can have a big moment. They just never do it at the same time. And finally, what happened is they made a few three-point shots, a few guys stepped up at the same time, and they got themselves a big win. Um, but I don't think this says a ton about either team, to be honest. I mean, about Louisville, it said they missed a ton of open threes and couldn't shoot free throws nine, to save nine, their life. Nine and 20 on free throws. Jordan Wara doesn't show up, and they don't right. make three-pointers. And that's why I'm wondering. And they were right there and still should I know, have won and that's the game. Why, that's why I'm not so sure I feel great about the Kentucky win. I, I feel good if I'm a Kentucky fan because you needed that, as you said. You had to have it. And you needed a scalp, which you got, and, and you need some momentum going to conference play. You got all of those things. But it almost felt like if Louisville even had brought its C-plus game, it, it would have won. I think we can agree, though, that Louisville in this Landscape in this year's college basketball landscape, Louisville is a good team. They're one no, of definitely no the ten best yes. in the country. I yeah, would say. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, and regardless of how well they played, Kentucky beating them in a rivalry game. And I know the game was at Rupp. It's a nice win, and no it doubt. at least tells you that you, this UK team doesn't stink. They've now beaten Michigan State, who isn't as good as people expected, and they've beaten Louisville. And granted, Louisville didn't play their best, but those are two really good wins. There aren't a lot of teams with those two. No, wins. that's right. That's I, fair. The thing I think it's weird watching Kentucky because it's there are times. It's almost like you forget they have guys on the team. Like, oh, Keon Brooks plays for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, when did Keldon Johnson get back on the team? Like, it, th- there's just no outside of, of Maxi and Hagen's at times. And you got to give Nick Richards credit. No, I like, they don't great. win that game Dude, against Louisville without Nick Richards. And, and, and no, he without plays Nick the Richards. four fouls for yeah. what, the last 14 minutes of regulation and then the overtime period. And had to. Now, granted, Enoch took him in the paint for some hook shots because there's really nothing he could do about it. But right. he was huge in that game. And that's what I've been waiting to see because I still have felt all along like he's the guy that still has a lot of potential. He's been there long enough to know better and be better than he is right now. And for whatever, whatever reason, it just hasn't clicked. But I, I mean, I know you saw him a lot in AAU. Didn't you think he would be an impact player in his career in college basketball? I thought by now. I, I you knew he was a guy that it wasn't going to be right away. Yeah, he was raw. But you knew I, I thought this is year three for him, yes, right? Yes. By now, you felt like he would be farther along. The one that that blows me away is EJ Montgomery. He just He's does nothing. Terrible. He does nothing. And he he might be the most like raw yeah. natural talent on the roster, and he provides them with absolutely nothing right now. Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, it was fairly Dickinson, so what can you really take away from it? But he did have that one right. big game against them that made you think, like, 
okay, maybe it's not a complete lost cause. Maybe it is in there and he can figure it out. And that's why I've continued to hold out a little hope for this UK team, despite the fact that they are just awful shooting. Yeah, and I I guess for him, the thing is, I just don't know if he's a a skilled enough offensive player to do much through him. But listen, go get eight points off the glass. Get get something in transition. And yeah, maybe out of the offense, you get another bucket. And yeah, you give me me 13 and (sighs) and nine and a couple of blocks. I think you take that. Because I think if, if he does those kind of things, then you don't need quickly and Hagens and Sestina and um, Maxi to all have a good game at the same time. You need at least two, sometimes three, but in some of these games it feels like you've needed them all because you get nothing from anybody else. There is no reason that they shouldn't get 10-6 and six out of both big men in addition to excellent defense and rim protection. Sure. Every game, those two should you should be able to pencil them in for that every single game, and they're just not getting that consistently, and that's the big issue. Yeah, I mean, they're not... For a team that's going to... If you're going to str- look at... UC's done this for 30 years. Xavier's in the middle of doing it right now. If you're going to be long and athletic and get up and down the floor and have that type of talent that can't shoot and struggles to score, you better be elite defensively. And we have not seen this team really be elite defensively. We saw, and I kept seeing people yesterday talking about how well Kentucky was playing defensively. And, and there were points I thought they were. Yeah, I thought there were but points I, that were. I also saw a lot of open shots, from yes. wide open shots from Louisville that weren't going in, that all of a sudden it's like, man, Kentucky's playing great defensively. Well, if Louisville makes 33 34% from three on the open looks, Louisville's up six, and we're not talking about how great Kentucky's <laughs> playing are, defensively. They make two more free throws in regulation right. than in regulation. I mean, so there's there's that too. So um, we, we've seen Maxie do this. We saw him do it in the, in the Michigan State game, and you saw him have this game. And I don't know, again, you can't expect a guy to do this every game, especially a freshman. But is this another? Is this a turning point maybe for him going into conference play where you, you, you start looking at the competition level and go, all right, he just did this on a pretty big stage in a pretty big moment where they had to have – they, they had to have that. Can he do that, or are we still going to see a roller coaster ride over the next three months for this kid? No, and that's, that's Chad's already shaking his head no. But. It's the inconsistency yeah. with him right now, and I don't th- because he can't shoot consistently, I think it's going to be really hard for him to do that consistently. But I think it's very clear now after watching this team that he's the guy. I mean, if they're going to, to make a run, he's going to be the guy that carries them. He's, it's, we're getting to Malik Monk territory where you have to lie to him and tell him, like, we're playing Duke today. <laughs> only big games. Only big, ga- only big like, games. Yeah, no, right. Who do we got today, Coach? Uh, we got Duke today, North Carolina tomorrow. Coach, we're not in the ACC. But, but it says Georgia, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I wonder if that's probably what it is. He, come, he shows out. I think the other thing, the though. lights are on. His pull-up game is really good, though. I think that's the part for me that I may just say, listen, I don't mind you shooting a three when it gets swung to you and you're wide open, but start getting downhill and get to the 15-foot mid-range game. But I, he's not I, consistent enough with it. When that's going he's in, hot and he's, cold. When he, that's going in, he's awesome, but it yeah. seems like when that goes in, the three goes in, too. It seems to be all or nothing with him. He doesn't seem to be like, you know, it doesn't seem like, oh, he's not shooting a high percentage from three, but that mid-range game is super reliable. Right. It comes and goes with the three. All right, Kentucky will open uh, on Saturday. They're off until then against Missouri in the SEC. It is an SEC that um, we all had question marks because a lot of the teams, Tennessee lost a bunch of guys. Auburn lost, uh, obviously, a, a, a chunk of guys as well, and they've actually reloaded pretty well. Um, LSU lost a bunch of guys, and I'm not sure what to make of the league. Auburn's played well, but they haven't played anybody. Tennessee they, stinks. Tennessee's terrible. They can't score Without Lamont all. Turner, they right. are. They, they can't they score. Um, you know, Arkansas has, has been good at home as we're doing this. They're down at the point we're doing this nine to Indiana on the road midway through the second half, so you surmise a loss there probably. And, and, I mean, there's nobody else that, that stands out. Florida has some talent. 
but we've seen them not lose just one or one game to a lesser opponent, but a couple of three games to lesser opponents. So what what do we make of, of the SEC? And when you look at it for Kentucky, maybe it's a it's a good year for that. You know, sometimes you're thinking, well, you didn't get a lot of scalps out of the league, and you're not going to get a chance to get many in it. But maybe you dominate it and go fourteen and four in it, and you're still in a pretty good spot. But the SEC is kind of perfect in that regard because even though it's not great i mean there aren't a lot of really good teams in it there still aren't a bunch of there aren't any bad losses really maybe one no. or two but there's mostly quad two quad one type games yeah. so you're still in good shape in terms of your resume i think i mean it, it, it's it's very similar to what we're looking at nationally right. i mean right the, the best player in the league plays for georgia right and they're probably and, and, a 16 win team when all yeah. is said and done they're a team that's not going yeah. to make the ncaa tournament so uh, the, the SEC is is a microcosm of everything else we're seeing around the country. It's the biggest thing this year, I think, as we get into conference play, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a million other times throughout the season. Winning on the road is going to to tell the story. That's of the this difference maker. Yeah, that's season. the difference maker. The teams that can that can start to differentiate themselves and win on the road in conference play are the teams that are going to pepper the top of the rankings. And the difference this year is. We don't know that it's going to be any of the blue bloods, right? No, right. We don't know that it's for sure going to be Kentucky and Duke and, and North Carolina. Looks awful. Yeah, I don't think they make the tournament. When I, I don't, I, they look so bad. Not with I, not with Cole Anthony right, hurting, hurt, right? So I mean, the SEC is no different than I mean, Virginia's not any good. Right. The ACC doesn't look strong at the top or the middle. Like Rick and who's I talk, good? Yeah, Rick and I talked this a few times on the on the on the weekly podcast. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think we've hit that year like that? I think it's it's multifold. Um, I think we are. I think a big thing that nobody has talked about is there has been a shift in the NBA draft, and that shift has gone from thirty guys, and and anybody beyond thirty is fighting for their lives. Now you're seeing it go into the 40s, almost to 50 on guys that get guaranteed deals. So I think you're seeing, and that that takes 10, 12 guys out of college basketball that would be 10 or 12 of the top guys in the sport. Now we're on about the third year of that being reality where 40 and on are getting guaranteed contracts. So more guys are opting to go early. More guys are going early. Whether it's one year, two year, three. Whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. They're they're leaving the sport early because what you're not seeing in those spots are seniors selected. Right. So, uh, and they're they're wisely now, guys are looking and saying, if my stock is in anywhere inside 45, I'm going. Instead of, I better be in the 20s or I better be at least guaranteed in the first round or I'm not going to go. It's not a very good class. Ultimately, the freshman class. The freshman yeah, class. Yeah, we talked about that a little. Is bit. not very good, and then the number one guy is out yep. in Wiseman. Although, uh, the although, number, although they've survived that pretty yeah, nicely, but think how much better they would be with him on the floor. The number two guy is at Georgia, playing in complete anonymity. Right. Other than the Maui Invitational, yeah, kind of show. Cole up. Anthony's hurt. Like, there's just no star power in college basketball right now. And that, and that's really the same. I mean, even Wiseman going to Memphis. It's Memphis. Like, yeah. yeah, they coupled a couple of those guys together in the same class, but it's still Memphis. I mean, like none of the blue bloods clustered together multiple guys. one and done guaranteed. Yeah, right. Well, there just guys. aren't multiple one and done guaranteed. Sure, there's going to be guys that are drafted in the first round, but the quality of of this freshman class it was it was a deep class where there was a lot of talent in it. But no elite talent, right. really. It's 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 the microcosm of college basketball this year. 
Um, you just don't know. Like Skinny, I said this to Rick on uh, Sports Authority. Give me off the top of your head. Give me five All Americans between any of the first three teams, first, second, third team. Give me five All Americans right now off the top of your oh head. Oh my god, I couldn't do it. Right, I couldn't do it. And think about that in years past. You always could rattle off seven, eight, ten guys that are the best players in the sport this year. Now you would say what? Uh, one of the guys from Gonzaga. Uh, uh, the kid from Georgia. The kid from Georgia. Uh, maybe Caleb Wesson yep. because Ohio State's having a good year. But there, there's nobody that stands out. And when there's nobody that stands out, that just means probably the kid from Michigan State and Ronica play up just because of it's a lifetime. Yeah, Cassius Winston, Winston. Yeah, because of lifetime achievement. But, but yeah, like there's nobody. We're, we're, we're struggling here. We're, we're cobbling this together. And it, it's and that was my whole point when I, this hit me like three or four days ago. And Miles like, Powell might have been if Miles Powell yeah. hadn't gotten hurt and whatnot. But so, yeah. you, but you're you know you're, you you just look around the landscape of the sport and you say I don't know what is what because I can't point to anything that I'm certain of. I can't point to any teams I'm certain are going to be sixteen and two in their conference. I can't point to any players. Really. Other than Gonzaga, Gonzaga will probably well, stay yeah, because the rest of the year. Playing, right. right, but, but uh, I can't the upper echelon conference. But I yes. can't point to any players that I say these are the studs of the sport that are going to carry their team. Now maybe that'll happen as we we get through conference play. But we're in January. I, know, I think we've seen enough of it to and, this point. And we all watch a I, ton of college yeah, basketball. I, I think we'll see teams evolve. I don't know if we'll see star power evolve though. I don't either because it doesn't exist. Right. Which means when we get to March, it's going to be a complete. Cluster. No, I think it's be great. It's really going to be interesting to see what the media does, the national media too, because there just aren't those storylines right. to latch onto. I mean, last year, I mean, we were inundated with, with Zion, 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 yeah. And, and but I mean, but there were some other stories side to go along with that. This year, they don't even have the side, the B stories, the C stories to go along with. Like, I literally don't know what they're going to overhype every day on ESPN <laughs> when it becomes a college basketball centric, yeah, centric yeah, yeah show time of the year. Yeah. Like, I Once really we don't hit, know what they'll do. We'll hit early February, and they're going to look around and go. We don't have any stories. Right. Cause, and I said this on Sports Story too, but I believe it. The teams that are the most talented aren't playing the best. And the teams that are playing the best clearly aren't the most talented, right. so they can get beat. I mean, like Ohio State is the perfect example of that. Like, they look like the most solid team to yeah. be right now. And, they yet, are playing and, and yet, what the do they do basketball. in a home game to West Virginia? Just lost. to West Virginia. And right. they lost to Minnesota, well, too. Right. Neutral. Well, that's true. It was neutral. Right. I'm right. Sorry, right. Yeah. But, but still. They've lost twice now. Yeah. And the point still stands that they could lose to pretty much anyone away from home in the Big Ten, I think, this year, and you wouldn't be shocked by it. And yet, if you told me they're the number one team in college basketball, I'd be like, Okay, I can see that. Yeah. They've played pretty solid throughout the year, but they're clearly not the most talented team. So I'm just really interested to see who wins out in that battle. Does one of the talented teams with some young guys catch fire and make a run and, and sort of take hold of this thing? Or is it going to be a couple of those teams with some veterans at the top that have been solid but not overwhelmingly talented? I mean, yeah. it, could be, it could be a year where it is all chalk, and it ends up being... I don't think it will be. I don't think so either, but we've seen crazier things happen yeah. in years like this where... Eventually, those teams pull away, or it could be a year we see like two mid majors in the final four. And we've seen that, yeah. I mean, it, it's just a it's a goofy season to like try to to try to navigate and break down because none of it makes any sense yet. No. There's no there's no flow to to the arc of the story yet. I like it. I it's think it's fun. going to make for a fun postseason I, I in too. February and March. But right now, see, but I, I think I think I'm going to like it because I've been one of those people that I watch, but I don't really, 
I don't feel as passionate about conference play as I used to, where it feels like, yeah, I can probably pick the six or seven teams. Now, on a given night, though, like you guys were talking about, it, I can watch and those games start to matter a little bit more because suddenly now, boy, this is a pretty good team, but they're hovering around nine and five in their league, and they can't afford to lose this game tonight, or they're going to slide away. So I, I, I think it actually is going to make February really interesting in that regard. You know what it might actually lead to? The best bubble ever because there's going to be a 40 teams that are the exact same team battling for 10 spots. Yeah, it feels like we've been creeping closer and closer to that reality right. for years now, and this is kind of the perfect storm of, okay, there's not high-end talent this year to go along with that. How many teams are going to be 20-12 and 12 with a 10-8 a, a and 8 or a 9-9 and 9 conference record? Like, all of them. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what we talked about. I, I went, we'll talk about Xavier specifically in a moment. You see specifically in a moment. But I, I said, you know, Xavier goes 11-7 and seven maybe in the Big East, which I think they might be a, be nice, a four seed. Which might be a good Big East <laughs> season, right? And then you look up, and that still gives them nine losses, which, again, isn't awful. But I think we're going to be that with a lot of teams. Yeah. We're like, well, they had a really good conference, and they went 11-7. and seven, And yet, well, they lost a couple outside the league. And look up, they got nine going into their conference tournament. So... Excuse me, I think you're going to have a bunch of double-digit loss teams when when, it's, when you get to the bubble portion. Yeah, I mean, I think Lunardi, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. It's not much, but in his latest uh, bracket projections, had eight Big East teams making the tournament. And it's just like, then you start looking around, it's like, well... And they were all, what, between four seeds and nine seeds, yeah, I would guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, no one or two seeds in there, and that's... It's just going to be that type of year, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's move to, to UC and, and any American I athletics. wonder, I wonder. What's that? Can they redo the seed? Can, can we have, like... Eight three seeds, no, you no, six that, five seeds. Just, somebody has to go on those lines, man. And the difference between the threes and the eights and the nines may not be very wide. I, but th- I mean, that would just be hilarious, wouldn't it? Like, oh, this year there was only there was only we only found two ones. It also sets up perfect for Kentucky to make like another run as an eight or nine yeah. seed or something. Yeah, without question, we only found two ones. There's six twos. Yep. These are the best twos. <laughs> and they're 1A and, or 1C and 1B. That's what will make them. If that would have be, to be ones. That would be phenomenal. Like like ranking players where they decide arbitrarily. 30, this year 31. there's 28 five stars. Yes. Next year there might only be 22. This year, hey, we only got two one seeds. That's maybe it. We got six twos. Let them play. Five, a, let, let them play a seven game series and be done with it. <laughs> Everybody else plays in the NIT or the CBI or the CIT. Uh, let's move to UC in the American Athletic. Um, Talk about UC first, seven and five going into conference play as they, as they start. Uh, where do you assess the Bearcats at this stage of the game, and what what do they need to do to maybe make a nice run in the leagues? I, I I don't think they can afford to go thirteen and five, twelve and six, and, and I think and thirteen and five would probably have them the close. Line? Okay. Right, I mean that's probably thirteen and five, and you're going to have to do a little bit of work in the conference tournament, but you're going to be right on the bubble with forty other teams, like we just talked about. I think fourteen and four. Yeah, that would. Feel, but but is this team team capable of going thirteen and five? Well, I don't. I don't league? know. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's here's the crazy thing about this so far. There's been you know we were talking about this on Bearcat Journal today. If you looked from the start of the semester until the first exhibition game, they were more often than not without Jaron Cumberland, without Zach Harvey, without Trevor Moore, who's now left, right. but without uh, Jeremiah Davenport. And then Prince Toyambi had a, his heart, heart issue. issue. Yep. So you were down to eight guys, and that doesn't include the daily. This guy turned an ankle yesterday. A lot of times you were practicing with seven and eight guys trying to install a new system in the most important period for a new program. When you get to school till the start of when the you season. Get, yeah, when you're just practicing. And they had, you know, Tim Morris was practicing. They just never were able to, to find a groove. And, and we are... 
We are two unbelievable collapses from this team being exactly where we thought they'd probably be. Now, you don't get to take those two terrible collapses away, but I don't think they're far from competing in an American Athletic Conference that the metrics are, are, are decent, but I mean, I, I still think, I think Houston probably wins the league. I think Memphis is right there behind them. I, I think Wichita they've had a good non-league. Is, is, is really good. Probably had the best non-league uh, of anybody in the conference. Houston's had a nice non-league. Yeah, Houston's been solid. Um, it, so I, I don't think that you know there, there's going to be an insurmountable hill to climb. I think what we saw against Tennessee and then what we saw against Iowa and, and also what they showed against Ohio State leading at halftime in that game until the final seconds against a team that is top five in the country. They're not far, but the question is when. Like we had this same discussion all year with Xavier last year. They're getting closer, but they're not ready to break through. Now, luckily, Cincinnati is going to have an easier path than what Xavier had last year. But you're still going to have to go win at Wichita, go win at UConn, go win at Houston, go win at Memphis. And once you start, you know, Temple's always been a tough place for them. Now you're you're just looking at the likely road losses, and they almost pretty quick add up to uh-oh yeah that, that gets you to probably the four that we're talking about without yeah. even having a, a tough game or a weird game that you lose right so they they've put themselves because they completely crapped down their leg against Bowling Green and Colgate they have given themselves absolutely zero wiggle room yeah and unfortunately the Tennessee win I think is going to lose more and more luster because Lamont Turner's out yeah I mean they're terrible they were awful against Wisconsin they were off against Memphis. They scored. I mean, they scored in the 40s in both of those games. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's the unfortunate part to that. Now, the good part is they do open up with four winnable games. UConn, UConn at home will be tough. At Tulane, Tulsa at home, and at UCF. They have to get on a roll. Yes. They've and, got and, to and start. you have that opportunity. Yeah. That, like, it sets up perfectly. You're not facing uh, the, the road games are Tulane and UCF. Yes. They should be able to handle those, although... We've seen stranger things happen this year. I still, that Colgate game was one of the most unexplainable things I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, it's about as weird as I've ever seen in my life. And, and I saw it in retrospect. I heard it, I saw it initially through Dan Hord's um, uh, voice, and I think he was a little unbelievable. I, I, we all just sat there and looked at each other in one of those, like, you know, you've, you've been in this business 100 years. There are times everybody in the press just kind of looks at each other and goes, did that just happen? Did we really, really just, I mean, the, the Dolphins game yeah, for the no, Bengals, right, I'm right, sure. Right. Did that just happen? Did, really? Two touchdowns in, in 29 seconds? Like, Really? Old boy doesn't know the score? Yeah. Really? Really? Really. And, and then wait, they foul? And then he flings it and then they foul, yeah. Like, yeah. Just the whole thing. It just. So, All right, so, so how I do, don't it, think they're far, but. We, we, we talked about this a little bit too, Rick and I. How do they get Jaron Cumberland on a roll, though? How does he get himself on a roll? The biggest thing for him is to get back in game shape because he hasn't I had know, the chance. I, is that going to be hard when now you're kind of into well, game, no, I, practice, I think day, game? The last 10 that, days is when it had to happen. Yeah. Because you've well, been off it? since Iowa. Has it? Practice is closed. Hell if I know. We'll so, find, out, find out on Wednesday. Can you, can you really do that in a two-week span? But I, if you look at Tennessee and Iowa, I think he's closer than he's been all year. See, I thought he was further away against Iowa. I, I thought he played better against Tennessee. I he thought 18, led the team in yeah, scoring. Yeah, it just felt like he just kind of started settling as the game went along. His legs kind of left well, they're there. Playing, they were, but that's the problem. Yeah, he's that is the get, problem. When he gets into the second half, he's got to get his legs under him. 
And, and to this point, he hasn't been able to do that. I, I do think this 10 days off, that's as good a chance as he's going to get to get a bunch of practices in and get as close to game shape as he can possibly get. But there's get. also the holidays, and there's cookies and pies and cakes and foods and things. And um, I mean, I, I don't think he eats like you. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess what? he might. He might. Well, he might. He just might. I'm going to guess he doesn't drink like you. I'm going to guess he doesn't. That part, at least I hope he doesn't. Case, he's going to have a hard time getting his legs under him at that stage of the game. Uh, my biggest question for this UC team is, Obviously, Jaron, because all your expectations were on Jaron being Jaron. Right. And he hasn't even been close to that. And so it's hard to really project what's going to happen until you see him be him. I'm actually more impressed. To me, they're farther along and better in terms of like the role guys stepping up and giving them something. Chris Vote's been great. Vote's Keith Williams been, Keith Williams been great. That, that's the one where I just don't think people are look because Jaron has struggled, people aren't giving near enough credit to. Keith Williams stepping up and not being coming just the sidekick that Jaron needed, but maybe even kind of being the go-to guy right now while Jaron hasn't been. I think the problem with Pete, why people haven't seen it that from him is because when Bowling Green and when Colgate started to slip away, he didn't do what right. an alpha does. And that's the, and that's the tough situation for UC, yeah. right? Like you still want to go to Jaron as your go-to guy in those situations. Right. So it's it's tough when Keith Williams is clearly your best player and you're not going to him in those moments. That's a you know Xavier had the same situation with not having their go to guy last year, but they really didn't have a go to guy. Right. UC has the guy, he's just not playing like it. Right. So it's, you have to get that figured out. Then the other thing I would I would ask you is, can they get big stops when they need them? So far, no. And that, and that's my question with this UC team. That was the Iowa game, right? Yeah, that was yeah, the Iowa I think, game. Like, I mean, I think you saw NKU have some of those issues with John Style at times, um, but they were good enough offensively to kind of pull through right. them. This UC team, until Jaron really gets to become Jaron, yeah. they're going to need to make a few stops in important moments, especially on the road. And right now, I haven't seen that sort of focus and, and toughness from them in those Yeah, games. I think some of it is connectivity because you're just dealing with so many new pieces and so many new roles so many guys doing different things that they were never asked to do before. And I and I think with the returning guys, I mean, I saw this at the beginning of the season a lot, and people don't, you know, nobody wants to really talk. I, I saw guys playing the zone and passing off defenders. And, it like, just instinctively, when they were getting into to high leverage situations in the second half of games, their brain reverted to, to last what, year's they had, the what they had been doing for so long. It just was human nature. And you'd see somebody cut across the lane and one of the returning guys like point across the court to a newcomer that's looking back at him like, I, my guy went that way. Well, that's yours. I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you would have a much better pulse on this because you run a UC message board. But what I've heard when I you know listen to sports talk and talking to some UC fans is people. Listening to me? Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> is, is people complaining, or not complaining, but talking about how they have to overcome a new system on offense, especially for Jaron, because he struggled. It's like, yeah. oh, the new system on offense, the new system on offense. But to me... Defensively, it's just the, as big. The, well, I think it's a bigger transition to go from that defense they were playing, which is a bizarre style of defense. It's awesome. Now I you, love it. I, like, I'm seeing it every day. With yeah, NK. that's what I'm now, saying. I'm like, how different is it now for you that you get to watch that implemented every day? It's a yeah, wild system. It's just different. It's complex, and it's it goes against what you do in a normal like man-to-man setting. So, to me, that's the biggest transition and that's why I'm really concerned. Like, 
Can they figure out how to lock into their new system and get stops when they need it? To me, that will be almost as big well, as getting Jaron going. And that's been their biggest Achilles heel is second-half defense. Yeah, it, it got him against Ohio State. It got him against Xavier. Got it him got against, against Iowa. Iowa. It, it got him. I mean, I've never seen anything like the Bowling Green second half in overtime. They scored in the 60s. They scored 19 points in five minutes of overtime. That's insane. I mean, it, it was one of those, like... Yes, sure. Teams get hot, but not like that was that was one of the most absurd things I've ever seen in my life. Watching that 41 points in 20 minutes of regulation, 19 points in five minutes of overtime. What? What the hell just happened? Like, so defensively, and I think that is a narrative that, that people are so hung up on. It's not Mick Cronin's offense. I think that like it, it's right, it's pace and space. To see right, that's what they want to talk about. Yeah. But defensively, okay, can, can can you get that rectified in in the period of time between Iowa and the start of conference play, or will it take no? I think more, it's more like, game time. Like you've got you've got to get through these four games, improve, and get yourself four right. wins to build up some momentum. These four games are massive for the future of this team. Anything outside of four and zero, and you are. You are climbing up a hill that I, I'm not sure you can you, dig out. You have you have the time to climb out of. And I would agree with Chad that it has to you can't do it before you play these games because what really happens is you prove to yourself that you can do it and that builds. Like you can see it sure. in the players' no, no, faces right, right. when they know and they're looking at each other and they're talking all of a sudden. Tennessee guys are getting energy off of their defense and off of being connected and stuff, that builds it. You saw it with Xavier last year. They went in that rut. They couldn't win for six straight games. They were right there in most of those games, but you'd see it on their faces. Like it set in, here we go again. Then all of a sudden they got out of that rut. And, and then they go roll. and they beat Villanova at home, you know, at Xavier. And it was like, that's a big win, but it all came from the confidence they got in those couple games leading up to it. Yeah. It's a huge stretch. Huge. Yeah. And, and it, it starts uh, starts on uh, Saturday. Wednesday. Or Wednesday. Rather, so, yeah, New Year's Day. Uh, for Xavier, they open up uh, actually on Monday against uh, Villanova in conference play. Uh, it has been a conference you mentioned. It's it's a bit topsy-turvy. Seton Hall sits down at the bottom as far as uh, wins and losses outside the league. Uh, Providence is at the bottom at 7-6. and six. Um, but for the most part, everybody else has double-digit wins. Everybody else has two losses or less. Yeah, I'm just talking about just in terms of of wins and losses. St. John's actually, what are they, 11-1? They picked up at least one nice win, didn't they? Yeah, Yeah. we're going to look. We're going to look and see what nice win they might. Oh, they did. They beat Arizona. So there's there's a nice win. Yeah, so they're not very good though. No, but but uh, you know that win and you get the Villanova win over Kansas. I mean the league's got some nice out of league wins to to hang their hat on. So now we get inside the league, and what do you make about what's going to happen? If, if if I already asked you right now, I'm going to let you make a pick off the top of your head and write down the way it finishes, or I would say I'll put all ten teams in a hat and you get to draw them out in order. Which one would you go with? Uh. I would probably write them down in order because I'd like to put Villanova at the top. But after that, you can put anyone anywhere else, so you, and I don't care so at all. So you write Villanova, and everybody else comes out of the hat. Yeah, and, okay. I'd, be, and I'd be totally fine with that. That's it what I think. Bother me at all? Um, you know, you probably want DePaul, St. John's, and Providence at the bottom. But who knows? The, Providence had enough talent that people were picking you want, second you, and you, third at the beginning of the year. The, the, the luster little, is off the Ed Cooley. You, you want the little folded piece of paper to be cold, so when you touch it, you realize, oh, that's DePaul. I'll leave that in the bottom of the uh, thing. DePaul is back, first okay. of all. Yes, I know uh, they are. But I, yeah, the Ed Cooley thing, that's funny, though, because it seems like the years where he's at his worst is the years he surprised you in, like, yeah. the Big East tournament and wins it. You know? So, like... Or, or the know. years where you look at their roster and you think that's not a very good roster, and they're good, right? Or this, like you look at their roster and you go, "Man, Providence is going to be a factor in this thing," and, and they, they stink. stink. Yeah. 
So I think it's going to be similar to every other year in the fact that the teams are just going to beat up on each other. I don't think Villanova has quite the separation that they've had in a few other recent years, so they're a little closer to the pack. They might have an extra loss or two at the top. But the difference is it's all about the storyline that happens in the non-conference, and they won enough big games. Some of the lower-tier teams got a scalp or two that they probably shouldn't have gotten to really help that narrative, the metrics, the the storyline, to where all these wins and losses won't really matter. It'll all be good for you no matter what happens. Right, DePaul even. I mean, count the Iowa win now is a pretty pretty good win. I mean, so even they've got one. We just mentioned St. John's has a pretty good win with Arizona, so there's some good wins. As as long as you're around that 500 mark, you're going to be okay this year in the Big East. And I... I we mentioned this on Sports Authority, too. I give the Big East a ton of credit because early in out-of-conference play, they were just kind of pedestrian. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. Like, the, the, the teams weren't really – what they had done in the past was – it felt like in November, the Big East just won every non-conference game. Well, it depends. Like, one year they'd do that, and then the next year they'd struggle in every big non-conference yeah. game, and it hurt, you know? And then this year, they were – okay through november but they didn't do anything that really jumped out and then they had a two-week stretch leading up to christmas right. where it felt like they literally won every game like like it felt like they went like 18 and 0 in that two-week stretch between the, the 10 teams and they put themselves now in a position where everybody like they hit the gas at just the right time and now everybody's on the big east train but it's going to be fascinating because i i don't think there's a and who knows with this with this season the way it's going it doesn't look like right now there's like a top two or three seed in the league but it feels like they could have eight teams and all of them advance to the second weekend Well, that (laughs) four to eight could just be the big east like the eight teams are in those what 16 spots or whatever yeah i think that's right you know villanova has that potential especially after seeing them beat canvas it's like okay they can still yeah. play with the big boys, even though that defense struggled early on and, and really didn't look like it was capable of getting a win like that. Then they hold Kansas in the 50s, 54, and you're like, yeah. okay, maybe they can still get it done when it, when it matters. So I'd look out for Villanova to be that type of team that could potentially be a top three seed. But on that, I agree. I don't see another team that looks like a top three seed, but everyone in the conference looks like a tournament team. Okay, 14-4 and four win the league? Oh, yeah, I'd say that you'd feel great if you yeah, only have four yeah. losses in this conference. All right, so so what does Xavier, like, to, to get a, a, a doable seed in the NCAA tournament, um, and maybe this is a year where it doesn't matter to have a doable seed, but to have a doable seed, a, a four-ish, five-ish uh, type seed, maybe higher if things went right, what, what would Xavier have to go in the league, in your opinion? What are they capable of doing? I think you want to go one over 500, basically, and okay. I think you'd be in pretty good shape with what they did in non-conference. I mean, I'd put them 21 and 10. Right, and I, just, I don't think that they're going to be a top three seed. We've already kind of established that. Um, the, the, the win at TCU helped. Um, it bounced had, back from the Wake Forest. It yeah, made the Wake had they Force, dropped both it, it Wake Forest and TCU, then all of a sudden Xavier becomes a bubble team almost yeah. unquestioned before they even get into conference play. And then you're more concerned. With that TCU win, now you're basically looking to hold serve right. in, in conference play, and you should be, you know, at least a 6-7 seed probably, 8 I, seed. I think it could be... An eleven and seven, twelve and sixteen. That wins the wins the league. Not no Xavier. Xavier. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, th- I mentioned Rick. I think the other day you asked. Twelve and our, six. I, I, think. I said I, I thought twelve and six, eleven and seven. And if you went twelve and six, because I think I think you put yourself in the four or five. Seed I think range. they're going to win eight games at home, probably if not nine games at home. Yeah. in the league. Okay, yeah, I, I'd say that's that's a good possibility. I think a lot of teams in the Big East are going to hold serve at home and then struggle to win anything on the road. So, yeah, I mean, I, if I were to tell you right now. Would you feel good about going to Providence tomorrow night? 
I, I don't think you can feel good about going to any that, that's, big that, that's my That's my yeah, point, though. I mean, one. yeah, even yeah. Yeah, would you feel good about going to Paul tomorrow night? Would you feel good about going to St. John's tomorrow night? Yeah, no, no especially, with the the way no. The, especially with the way the Xavier team shoots. Yeah, no. I mean, that's the bottom line. They could go, you know, 0 for 21 from 3 on anywhere. Okay, but in the road. if Xavier can tomorrow night go to Villanova and win, and that's an F, although they did do it last year, they get that win. Well, and they, they, got, they beat them at home oh, last they beat them year. Home, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Okay. So the, if, if they're able to pull that off, they got four of the next five after that at home. You talk about getting some quick momentum. You're talking about UC needing to go 4-0 and getting some momentum. If Xavier were to win the Villanova game and then with the four of four, you know, the next five at home, boy, you got a chance to get off to a great start in that league and, and maybe put yourself in a spot where people start to look to you as a team to beat. Yeah, I think it's funny from an outside perspective. People are like, oh, what a great opportunity for Xavier to go to Villanova. I think most Xavier fans are like, well, that sucks that we start at Villanova. Because <laughs> yeah, like, might as well get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. Yeah, that's Chris Mack said it's the annual uh, Villanova ass-kicking. Yeah. to get out of the way early this year. <laughs> the game, like, you got 17 more to go. You don't yeah. have to think about that one. At all for yeah. the rest of the year. And so I think that's kind of where you're at if you're a Xavier fan is it's such a pipe dream to win at Villanova. But you're right. If they do, all of a sudden everything opens up and you do become a team that, heck, you make a run here in the Big East, you could be a top four seed maybe. They, they changed my mind a little bit about about them against TCU. And I, Rick and I talked about this um, on the radio this week or last week. That was a game that felt like Xavier should have been up 18 points at halftime. And they were only up ten, and you, you and TCU can get hot from three, as we saw at the end of the game. They can put a lot of pressure on you quickly. And Xavier came out at the start of the second half, and that thing jumped over twenty in the blink of an eye. And it was like, okay, this team does even on the road, even when they're not shooting lights out. They shot okay in that game, yeah. But they do have the ability because of their defense, because of the way they can be on the glass, that they can hit the gas on you and take a 10-point lead that should be more and turn it into 20 that quick. And that, for me, to see them do that on the road, TCU's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but they're on the level of some Big East teams yeah, right sure. around. So, Especially playing at their place, that's yeah. a tough, tough place to win. So to do that on the road at their place, that to me, that showed me something that that I hadn't seen from from this team or last year's team that signaled a good sign to me going into conference play. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you always hear it so much about being ready to play. Oh, we didn't come out ready to play. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? You just weren't good today, basically, right. essentially you know, what that means. Yeah. But it really, like, it is a That's real, always when our team doesn't try very hard. No, they didn't really execute. They tried hard. We're just not very good. We're just not very good. We're just not all Chuck. But, but it, like, it sounds so we cliche. Don't guard, we don't rebound, Chuck. <laughs> And it's nebulous, and it's hard to explain to fans, but it's a very real thing that you have to figure out how to get your team to do. When you're not at home, when you don't have your fans behind you, come out, play with energy, be tough, and execute. And I'm sure fans are tired of the Xavier-UC overlap comparisons we've been making between these teams, but it does. Like I think any Xavier fan would tell you they respected the fact that Mick Cronin's teams were legitimately tough always. You'd be like, those are some tough dudes, those are some nasty dudes. The Xavier team is that way. Like They are legitimately a tough group of dudes. So when they lock in and play connected like they are, they are really tough to score on. They're really tough to rebound against. And they sometimes will kind of break your will a little bit just by bullying you throughout the game. I just want to say we hit the, the ground running. We haven't done a podcast together, the three of us, in a long time. And I was able to utter one syllable of 
Chuck Rose. So. And and all three of us were all over yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think that one will leave anything. <laughs> no, that, that, that would never. That's still. That's those are still some of the best post game moments in the history. Know, of, history Chuck, of, we're just of, of we're just not very. We, we can't. We don't, we don't guard. We don't, we don't rebound. We don't, we don't go to the glass, Chuck. We're, uh, Jesus, give me another cigar, Chuck. <laughs> Chuck, did you have, do you have any? Do you have any Woodford? <laughs> he, he's got a few of those. <laughs> uh, let's move to the team you do color for NKU. They're they're obviously you know down a couple of guys, and I don't know if Tyler Sharp can score thirty every night, but he keeps sure scoring can. thirty every night. I, and so I don't, we don't know that to not be true at this point. <laughs> no, the, the fact is, what's that three in a row for him in the thirties? Um, look, Milwaukee's probably one of the lesser teams in the horizon, but right now, without playing with with two guys, I think any win is a good win and a nice start and a chance. With probably one of the worst teams in the league in Green Bay coming in, a chance to get off to a nice two and zero start. Yeah, and I think Milwaukee was picked to finish sixth or seventh this year, so not they're not the dregs of the conference anymore, and they're definitely different than they've been. You know, Pat Baldwin, he had them playing the slowest pace in the country the last couple of years. This year, they're in the top half in terms of tempo, both offensive and overall, um, and they've got a couple really talented guards and then some big men that know their role. So you go into that game without Jalen Tate, without Dantez Walton, and you're thinking this could be trouble. I mean, a team that has never won in your building feeling like they've got a chance to knock you off to start their conference play and, and really get on a roll here. And then KU had a very businesslike win, I thought. I mean, Tyler Sharp was unbelievable, but just the toughness, the rebounding, the way they did um, defensively against Darius Roy and Tijon Luke as the two guards uh, was really impressive. So I, I can't, you can't say enough about the job this coaching staff has done to continue to get these guys ready with that next man up mentality when their best players keep going out. I mean, that's just... Tough to deal with for any Very. team, much less when you're like, hey, we're trying to install a new system that's the total opposite of what you did last year, and we're going to keep running your best player out of the lineup every why, week. Why are teams, why have the last three teams had a hard time taking Tyler Sharp away when the options are very limited? Well, and they've done everything they can do. They put their most athletic defender on him, face guard him, grab him, pull him, coming around screens. Darren Horn and his staff do a really, really good job of getting their best player in a position to go off. I mean, you saw it with Dantez Walton. Even if they're not shooting well from the outside, they're okay. And they find ways to isolate them coming off curls and other things in the mid-range to get them to where they're best at. Um, with Tyler Sharp, they've done a great job of getting him to use his ball fakes effectively. He already had a good pump fake. He used to do a lot of that flopping stuff where he'd flail his head back and draw fouls. Well, now he gets technical if he does that. Right. They've eliminated that, that from his game and just got him to use ball fakes to create space and openings to drive. He's also been much more patient with passing and I think um, in trusting his teammates to where I think that's kind of given defenders pause a little bit of when he gets in the lane all of a sudden, he's spraying out to other shooters. So now you're a little less likely to just collapse on him as you would have been in the past. Yeah, um, This is a year, though, that feels like the league itself isn't strong. Uh, we've seen years where you could get six or seven deep and go, boy, I don't want to go there to play a game. And yeah, there's always an upset somewhere along the way. But maybe this is a year you can survive at least for some period of time without the two best guys you have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long you can play without both of those right. two and keep winning games. You sure can't I mean, do it in March. You probably sure can't win the Horizon League tournament without them come March. Right, but... and Milwaukee at home wasn't easy without right. those guys right. for sure. Um, so you go on the road, it's going to be tough. But I do think, you know, Jalen Tate warmed up in that game for the first time um, since he got injured. I think he looks like he's going to be back soon. So you add Jalen Tate back to the mix, just an element they really haven't had all season, and he's their most talented player without question. Yeah, now after this Green Bay game on Monday night, they have four straight on the road, which usually this league is pretty good of going two road, two home, two road, two home. But I think every year you have to have a stretch that. like this. I think they always have one stretch like this, really? just the way it goes. Of It's a lot of, uh, it's yeah. a lot of time in buses for you. It's, it, yes, but, it is. Yeah, Detroit, Detroit and Oakland, and then follow the following year by Chicago and IUPUI. They do have travel partners, so that does help a little bit. Um but for a team that, again, is playing without two key guys, 
you don't want to hit a road stretch like this all of a sudden. Granted, I don't think IUPI is any good. I think Oakland stinks. I think Detroit stinks. Illinois, Chicago's eh. I mean, so you do face four teams that are not great, but you do face them on the road. Yeah, four straight road games. And again, who knows exactly what you're going to have available to you in terms of your personnel. But with the way this team is playing, they're confident. They've still got a go-to guy right now in Tyler Sharp, even without their best two players out. So I think it's possible they go and win all four. I think that's the expectation is that sure. they go and, and win no, all four. No no doubt. And no update on when the Dantes and, and, and uh, Jalen Tate will be back? Tate, I think, very soon. Very the soon, fact okay. that he warmed up, we hadn't seen that. He's been starting to get back into practice. Uh, I think he'll be back very soon. With Dantes, we don't know. Maybe really by, the, much maybe by that first road trip. Maybe not in Green Bay, but maybe by the first road trip. I don't want to speculate on when he's going to play, but I, I'll tell you it's very soon. Yeah, and, and that, that would be a big, big Walton getback. is very soon, too. Really? No, I'm I'm asking you. Oh no, I do not think okay. I do not think he's all that close. He was okay. still in a sling, um, in street clothes, and they really just haven't given us many details at all about his injury. It's been kind of weird, honestly, since it happened. Well, there we go. All right, uh, any final thoughts from you, Chad Brendel? Week no, one, it's, it's good podcast be, is back. It's good to be back. And then the next two Sundays we'll be without Rick, so we'll have to figure something out. Yeah, what are you guys going to do? Is someone else going to record this thing? Yeah, we don't know. We'll, have, board we'll, we'll, fig- we'll figure on? something it's, out. It's a lot that I'm doing over here. If you couldn't tell, I mean, I, mean, I pressed record when it started. I know. And, I don't I, know if either and, of you two are capable. Gonna leave the cables here, and when we're yeah, the cables stay. The cables cables stay. The the laptop will be on a bus with me somewhere. And I mean, I I have a laptop. I have a guy that can Bearcat Journal must pay well. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll figure it out. It's it's the radio. It's it's the radio filling stuff and this this filling checks. We'll 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 figure it out. Being being the uh, Joan Rivers to Mo Eggers, Johnny Carson is a very lucrative endeavor. I thought you'd be Don Rickles. I thought you were more Don Rickles. <laughs> actually, Jen River seems appropriate. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's actually a good call. Yeah, yeah. I like you calling Yeah, you call. see? Yeah, similar is. voice, similar physique. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Mm, more Don Rickles. I'm going, back to, <laughs> I'm going back to the Don Rickles portion of it. All right, boys, great being back with you. We'll be back again uh, throughout, throughout the college basketball season. We do this each Sunday. Drop it probably on a Monday. Like so look hot. forward to doing that. And uh, Rick and I will be back with the Potpourri podcast at some point this week, probably on Thursday. Who day, Joe Burrow? There it is, Joe Burrow on the way, baby. Trade the pick. Maybe. We'll see where that goes, too. All right, we got. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. I'm Richard Skinner for Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com. Make sure you look at his stuff for Rick Brewing of Musketeer Report. Hey, thanks for being with us. It's the Skinny Podcast presented by just us.